All right, we're in Acts. Shocker. We're in chapter 28. Shocker. We finally made it to 28. I don't know how long we're going to be in 28. I'm just tackling a couple verses from 28. My plan, though, this is my plan. I don't know how it's going to work out. I may be in 28 next week. I may not. If we're not in chapter 28 next week, I plan on doing a review of Acts for my last message just to kind of close up the book for us. Uh, I've really had a great time <clears throat> preaching through the book of Acts. And so I, don't, I have no direction on where we're going next. I'm just trusting God for that. And uh, we'll see what happens. So today we're in chapter 28. Uh, one of my famous stories with Pastor Bubba, and I'll tell this one until I'm old. So if you've heard it a hundred times, just listen anyway and act like this is the first time you heard it. One of my famous stories with Pastor Bubba is when we were, Cheryl and I were looking to buy a house in Jennings. This is probably 20 years ago. We were, uh, we were struggling to find a place to buy, and uh, I was riding around with Pastor Bubba one day in Jennings, and at this time, he had a Nissan Sentry. How many of you remember the old Nissan Sentries? Like, they're big now. They're big like a Cadillac compared to the old ones. So Pastor Bubba fit very well. I was like the circus bear on the bicycle, right? And so we're riding around Jennings. It's a rainy day, and we're looking for houses, and he's showing me what they found and a few things like this. And we're just, and I don't really know Pastor Bubba by this, by this time. God just told us to go find him, ask him where he needs to help him, and we didn't know him that well. And so we just did. We just took a leap of faith, went out, sold our house, and moved. And so we're riding around in this car, and I'm, I'm trying to get to know him, and <clears throat> we're at a red light. And the car in front of us, Pastor Bubba thought they went, but they didn't go. And he hit the back of their car. And I'm like, uh-oh, I just got in a wreck. And so there was a lady driving and then a younger fella on the passenger side. He gets out and he's immediately irate. I guess he didn't see the circus bear in the car. <laughs> so he's irate. Like he's getting out cussing and screaming and hollering and all this stuff. And Pastor Bob was like, hey, let's just, and we were right next to a funeral home. He said, there's a pavilion, there's a canopy on the funeral home, let's pull under there, we'll call the police, we'll do all this. So we pull, we're at the funeral home, under the canopy, and I'm going, what the heck? Now I'm a former bouncer at a club, I know how to fight, I know how to handle the situation, I can, I can go into fight mode rather easily, and so I'm like, I don't know if I'm supposed to fight right now. Or if I'm supposed to pray, I like I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't know what to do in front of Pastor Bubba because I don't know him. He don't know me. And so we get out of the car, and it takes me a little bit longer to get out of his car than it does him. And by the time I come around his car, Pastor Bubba's already in the passenger side of the car, of the other car, laying hands on the guy. Now for a split second, I was like, are they fighting or is he praying? I mean, literally, like, he went in and just starts praying for this guy, and the guy's weeping. The guy had been strung out on drugs for years. Pastor Bob was praying deliverance over him, all in the canopy of a funeral home. And I'm sitting there like, what have I got myself into? Who is this guy, this little guy? Maybe he felt bold because I was with him. I don't know. But who's this little guy who jumped in somebody else's car and started praying for the guy and he's delivering him and praying salvation over the guy? And I'll never forget that story and just, and just going, wow, I was not ready for that. I was not ready for that that day. The title of my message today is Wrecked with a Purpose, or Wrecked with Purpose. 
How many of you have ever found yourself in a place or in a situation that you didn't think you would be in and it was uncomfortable for you? And, and, and so if you can remember that place, I want you to remember real quick, what were you thinking during that time? Were you thinking more about how to get out of that situation? Or maybe your focus was, how did I get into this situation? Because if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves in a place that we're, we're not expecting to be or a situation we weren't planning on being in. And if we're not careful, we'll spend all of our time trying to figure out how to get out or trying to figure out how we got in and we'll miss the opportunity in the situation. You see? So from last week, we pick up the story where Paul and everyone on, the, on, the, on board were shipwrecked. They make it safely to shore. And I want you to know this today. Maybe you ought to write this down. Wherever you find yourself, wherever, know that your purpose is there with you also. Wherever you find yourself, your purpose is there also. Don't ever forget that your purpose came with you. Wherever. You mean like wherever, Pastor? Like wherever. Your purpose is with you. Acts chapter 28, starting verse 1. I'm going to read to verse 10. Once we were safe on the shore, we learned that we were on, an, on the island of Malta. The people of the island were very kind to us. It was cold and rainy, so they built us a fire on the shore to welcome us. As Paul gathered an armful of sticks and was laying them on the fire, a poisonous snake, some translations say a viper, uh, was driven out by the heat and bit him on the hand. The people of the island saw it hanging from his hand and said to each other, a murderer, no doubt. Though he escaped the sea, justice will not permit him to live. But Paul shook off the snake into the fire and was unharmed. The people waiting for him to swell up are suddenly dropped dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw that he wasn't harmed, they changed their minds and decided he was a god, little, little g-god. You see why it doesn't matter what people think about you? They change their mind all the time. We, we give them too much value. They don't even know how they feel about themselves and we worry about how they feel about it. But they changed their minds and decided he was a god near the shore where we landed was an estate belonging to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us and treated us kindly for three days. As it happened, Publius's father was ill with fever and dysentery. Paul went in and prayed for him, and laying his hands on him, he healed him. Then all the other sick people on the island came and were healed. And as a result, we were showered with honors, and when the time came to sail, people supplied us with everything we need, that we would need for the trip. Crazy story. Paul goes through some serious storms over the last couple of chapters. The ship wrecks. He gets a word from God amidst the, amidst the storms that he was going to stand trial before Caesar. God didn't give him any more details than that. You're going to stand, well, other than the ship was going to wreck. And the ship wrecks, and they find themselves on this island called Malta. Now, what's, what's interesting, and I just thought this was just a cute little uh, fact. Malta is, is actually, the word Malta means sweet. There was a specific honeybee that was on that island. And so when people talked about Malta, they talked about Malta being the sweet island. So isn't it interesting that Paul, even though he was in a shipwreck and had to float and swim to shore, lands on the sweet island? 
Sometimes the enemy convinces you that the place that you're in is sour when it's really sweet. So Paul makes it to land and he gets snake bit by a viper. Interesting story, there was a little girl who used to come to church here the other day. They're, they're still friends of ours because we, we, you know, we all belong to the body of Christ, not our Savior's church. And, and his little girl got bit by a, um, by a copperhead. And he, he went into panic mode like any daddy would, brought her to the hospital. She never swole up. She never, nothing ever happened to her. Praise God. So they're assuming a lot of things about Paul until they realize he's not dying from the snake bite. Watch this. Believe it or not, there are people watching and judging you every day to determine who or what you are. They're watching you. I'm telling you, the minute you gave your life to Christ, you became important. You became important to the kingdom. And all of hell ever since has been trying to kill, steal, and destroy you. And all of heaven is rejoicing over you. You became very important, and the people are watching you now that you've, you've, you go to church. And they may, all they may know is that you just go to church on Sundays. Like, what's up with her? Like, she's, she's not in a bad mood. And, well, she started going to a church. Oh, she got religion. Whatever they think it is, if you gave your life to Jesus, people are now watching you, and they're trying to figure out who you are. Which means this, you don't have to be anything other than who God created you to be. And if you're excited about Jesus, baby, be excited about Jesus. If you want to declare the goodness of God at your workplace, declare the goodness of God at your workplace. You don't have to fit into somebody else's script. So let them see God moving in your life. It's not that we pretend that we don't have trouble and we don't have hard times because that's not what the scriptures say. It's in our troubles and our hard times. Let people see God moving in you. Let them see their, your faith in God and your trust in God and the hope that you have. There should be something different about us. So they couldn't figure Paul out. First he was a murderer, then he was a God. That was a quick transition. And he didn't even post anything. What are people seeing when they see you? When they examine your life, what are they seeing? Are they seeing faith? Are they seeing boldness? Are they seeing a surrender to Christ? Watch this. Or are they seeing compromise, lack of confidence, and shame for Christ? You got to understand this. The minute you gave your life to Jesus, you became very important to the kingdom of God and to the kingdom of darkness. And people are watching you now. What are they seeing? Are they seeing you make a decision for Jesus and then turn around and act like you don't really belong to Jesus? Because I don't want to be one of those people that belong to Jesus. I want to be kind of my own people that belong to Jesus. Like I want a little side of salvation with a whole lot of world. What are they seeing? Because whatever you're displaying is what they're seeing. Is there a boldness in you? Is there some courage in you? Do you still believe God? Do you still trust God? Are you still in love with Jesus? Then let people see that. 
Jesus said, if you're not ashamed of me, I'm not ashamed of you. What are people seeing? Now listen to me. The last thing I want you to do is become fake. Can I just clarify this for a minute? Because fakes wore out. It's repulsive. You don't need to go around. Listen, I pray we're not the church that runs around talking about, I'm blessed and highly favored. I'm blessed and highly favored. Right after you just said a couple cuss words. I'm like, come on, man. Like, can we just be real? Can we just be who we are? I stubbed my toe. Ouch! I'm not trying to get you to fake it. I'm just trying to fall in love with Jesus to the point where you ain't ashamed of it. You're not compromising anything to, to keep people from thinking certain things about you. Paul lands on an island he's never been on before. And here's the thing. His purpose was with him. He didn't lose his purpose in the wreck. His purpose didn't drown in the water. His purpose didn't take off floating with the tide. He kept his purpose with him all the way to the island. He shipwrecked with purpose. His purpose came with him. The thing I love about Paul is that no matter what, when, or where, Paul stayed with his purpose. And his purpose was to preach the good news of Jesus, to tell people the good news of Jesus. How did Paul preach? Sometimes he preached with his mouth. Sometimes he preached with his actions. Sometimes he preached with his attitude. We've seen time and time again where Paul messes up. You remember when the high priest had him slapped and he called him a name? Paul messed up. What did he do when he messed up? He quickly repented. What did the crowd see? Oh, my God, there's something different about this guy. He just messed up, and he just made it right within minutes. He preached with his reactions. How do you react when you get bumped? So Paul gets bit by a snake. I'm like, God, what's up with the snake? Like, why, why do you have to get bit by a snake? What was all that about? I mean, it's a cool part of the story, right? It kind of lines up with what Mark says, you know, no venomous thing will harm you. But, like, what's up with the snake? Like, why the snake on the island with the wreck? Like, what's up with that? Well, there was 276 people that came from the, the ship. And they land on the island right by the chief official's house. Out of 276 people... I wonder how many of them actually get invited into the house. And Paul was at the lower level of the people that came off the ship. He was a prisoner. And this is just my theory. Just my thoughts. I'll let you in. I wonder if, if, if God didn't allow the, the, the snake to bite Paul, to give Paul the attention necessary, to put him in the house of the chief official, so that when the healing came, the whole island got healed. Because without the snake, I don't know if Paul makes it into the house. You ever wonder why you get bit sometimes? You ever wonder why something thumps you across the head? You ever wonder why this happened or that happened? Did you spend too much time wondering why it happened? Don't fall in love with the snake bite. That's not your greatest story. The snake 
bit him, and made a room for him in the official's house. To which the official's father is lying in bed sick. He had what you call, what they would call the Malta fever, which, we came, which it came from the, the Maltese goats. They would drink the goat's milk, and then they wouldn't handle it properly, and then they would get a fever. Now watch this. This fever could last from four months to four years. I can't take a fever for four minutes. Come on, somebody. I'll be dehydrated. From four months to four years, Publius's dad could have been sitting with a fever. But Paul got snake bit and went from a murderer to a god all of a sudden. He gets invited into the official's house. He walks into the room, prays for the guy, lays hands on him, and heals him. Then what happens? All of a sudden, every sick person on the island comes to Paul to get healed. And the Bible says the whole island was healed. Did you hear what I said? The whole island was healed. Like nobody was left sick after that moment. What's crazy is that such an outpouring of the, the gifts of the Spirit like this is it creates a space for Paul and everyone who's with him. Think about the 275 people, not Paul. Think about the 275 that went on the shipwreck with Paul. They make it to the island just like God said they would and Paul said they would. They make it to the island. Paul gets bit. Before you know it, Paul gets invited into the chief's house. Paul's in the house. I don't even know if the captain of the ship was in the house, right? Paul ends up in the house. Now, they've lost literally everything, like seriously, everything in the shipwreck. They have nothing except their skin and a little bit of clothes. Paul goes into this moment, into the, to the chief's house, heals his father. Then they bring all the sick people, and Paul heals them too. And now all of a sudden the Bible says that they have favor that don't even make sense. Watch this. Paul went in and prayed for him and laying his hands on him, he healed him. Then all those other sick people on the island came and were healed. As a result of this healing, we were showered with honors. And when the time came to sail, people supplied us with everything we would need for the trip. Your gift will make room for you. Your gift will provide for you. If you will just take the spiritual gift that God's given you and apply it to the hurting people in this world, you never know what will happen. You never know what doors will be open for you. You never know what favor you might gain. Your gift will make room for you. That's scripture. No wonder why the enemy doesn't want you to use your gift. Because he don't want you to have any room. He don't want you to have any favor. He's going to convince you that your gift is weird and it's not real and you don't need to use it. So you can stay stranded on an island with nothing instead of everything that you might need. We getting something yet? 
Let me give you three lessons from Paul's wreck. Three quick lessons from Paul's wreck. Number one, I've learned I need to anchor my life before the storm comes. <laughs> I need to anchor my life before the storm comes. If there's a hurricane coming and it's already on the coast of the Gulf, don't go try to get your generator ready. You're a little late. Don't go to the store. They ain't got no more water. They ain't got no toilet paper. They ain't got no groceries. And they ain't got no alcohol in South Louisiana. Like, you're too late. You're too late. Anchor your life before the storm comes. Watch what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. He says, anyone, that means us, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rains come in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. Verse 26, but anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. So, so the, here's the question. You want to be wise or foolish? Wise men, wise woman, do what, what God's word says. Foolish men, foolish women, don't do what God's word says. Amen? Like a person who builds his house on the sand. When the rain and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Huh. So Jesus is telling us we're going to have storms in our life. So you just soon prepare yourself for the storm. Did you hear me? There's another storm coming. Yeah, but I'm just going to barely made it out of this storm. And I'm going to make it through the next storm. And just, just be ready. I can't explain it. Just be ready. There's another storm coming. Sooner or later, it's going to hit you. You get, to, you get to make this one different, though. You get to be prepared for it. You say, you know what? I wasn't ready for that last one. I'm going to be ready for this one. I'm going to anchor my life before the storm comes. Cheryl and I built a house seven years ago, and we built it in a hurry. Our house in, in Crowley had sold, and so we needed to hurry up and and get it built. So I did the, the dirt work. I've got a little bit of experience in that. I did the, me and Doug and uh, Doreen and my family, we all laid the concrete foundation for it. And everything was in a hurry. And we built the house in like three and a half months. And we moved in the same day they moved into our old house and all this madness. And so we got into the house. And after about a year or so, I'm sitting there one day and I'm going, man, did I do this foundation right? Like, is this thing going to stay standing? So I'm checking the windows, and I'm seeing if there's any cracks in the sheetrock. And I'm looking around, like, God, I got real nervous. I was like, man, we did that in a hurry. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know if it's ready for, for settling. I, you know, we live in South Louisiana. Land's always moving. I don't mean selling. I mean, like, it's literally moving. And, and I'm like, ah, oh, man. And so then, then the first hurricanes come in 2020 that we ride out in this house. And I'd put these anchors in the concrete footers, these, these little trailer house anchors. And I put a, a bunch of them, and I tied a strap to it and cranked it down with a crescent wrench. And I, th I think I did a good job. But let me tell you something. When the storm winds came, I was going, Lord Almighty, anchor hold. I was singing that song, anchor hold. Please anchor hold. I'm like, is the house going to move? Right? That's okay. It's okay to feel that way. But as long as you got anchors in the ground, 
And as long as you have a solid foundation, you may get a little nervous when the storm comes, but you don't have to get blown away. Are you with me? you got to prepare before the storm comes. Your foundation shows up the best in a storm. <laughs> When's the last time you drove up by a house in the neighborhood and you went, ooh, look at that foundation. When's the last time you did that? When's the last time you bought a house and you were like, ooh, that's a, that's a fine foundation. Nobody pays attention to the foundation, Right? Nobody pays attention to the anchors. Nobody pays attention to how deep the footings are dug. Nobody pays attention to any of that until when? Until the storm comes. When the storm comes, it's too late to build. So what does that mean, Pastor? How is that practical for me? Well, that means like right now today, you need to take your spiritual growth seriously. Listen to me. You need to take it seriously. Your spiritual growth is your responsibility in conjunction with the Holy Spirit. It is yours. It is not mine. I'm to equip you for ministry, not to grow you spiritually. Come on. You need to take your spiritual growth seriously. Some of you don't take it serious enough. Until a storm comes. There needs to be an urgency on your development. Starting today. An urgency. It's not just preparing for a hurricane come May and June. Are you ready all year? needs to be an urgency to develop. Number two, so number one, anchor your life before the storm comes. Number two, don't let pain poison your purpose. Don't let pain poison your purpose. Pain hurts, right? <laughs> Duh. Pain hurts. Some of us can take pain better than the rest of us. How many of you have a high tolerance of pain? Okay, how many of you, like, don't? Okay, good. At least you're aware. Don't let pain poison your purpose. Paul gets snake bit and shakes it off and continues on. You know, it's amazing to me today how many people let pain poison their purpose or even poison their progress. Not to say that pain's not a real thing. Pain is a real thing. We feel it, don't we? Relational pain, emotional pain, physical pain, it's real. I'm not watering it down. I'm not saying that pain doesn't hurt. What I'm saying to you today is that God is greater than your pain. Your purpose is greater than your pain. And sometimes God deals with your pain as you exercise your purpose. So pain is meant to stop you, but God's will is, to, is for you to continue. 
Now, we need to stop sometimes and put a Band-Aid on. Stop the bleeding, right, Cole? He cut his, he cut his thumb here, so he got a bobo. You got to shake his hand carefully. But we keep going. Some of you have been so freaked out because you felt pain from something you didn't think you would ever feel pain from that you completely stopped. You're almost offended with God because you felt pain. You're almost repulsed by God because you experienced pain. Because something happened in your life that you didn't think was supposed to happen in your life, and now all of a sudden your purpose has come to a screeching halt. And you're sitting there going, this ain't right. This ain't right. And your focus, your attention, your energy is on your pain, and it has nothing to do with your purpose. Why do we let pain poison our purpose? What's funny to me is Christians today talk more about their pain than they talk about Jesus. We'll go on and on and on and on and on and on and on about our pain. So people are like, this is painful for me. Like, I feel your pain. When they see you coming, they're like, oh, here comes major pain. I bet that snake bite hurt. What did he do? He shook it off. You see, what's amazing to me about God is, is that he's given us his Holy Spirit, right? Who, who's the Holy Spirit? He's our helper, right? He's our teacher. The Bible also says he's our counselor. Do you know the greatest counselor ever known to mankind is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is our counselor. I wonder if the Holy Spirit can do everything with us as we're in motion. I wonder if he can counsel us through our pain as we stay on purpose. Because from my experience, when pain comes, it's there to stop me. It's there to make me quit something. It's there to get me distracted and to hold me back and to stop me from advancing and moving forward into the will that God has for me. That's what pain tries to do with me. I'm just smart enough to realize that if pain's trying to stop me, the Holy Ghost is with me and we're going to keep on going into this. I'm not going to let pain poison my purpose. I'm going to stay on purpose even though it still hurts. And sometimes your purpose is more anointed in your pain. You ever minister out of your pain? Some of the greatest worship leaders are some of the most painful. <coughs> That's a pain in my neck right now. But it ain't stopping my purpose. So, I, I do need to collect myself for a second. Hang on. <coughs> There's worship. Some of the greatest worship leaders I know are some of the most pain-filled people. They've been through some of the most dramatic things you can ever imagine. 
and they minister through their pain. Don't tell me God won't use your pain. What the enemy means, means for harm, God uses for good. He uses it for good, so just don't let it poison your, don't poison your purpose. Everything that Paul's going through is still on purpose. Let's look at Jesus for a minute because he's the greatest example we can ever follow. Paul's great, and it's been great to kind of toot Paul's horn for the last couple weeks. But, man, what about Jesus? You think Jesus learned how to stay on purpose? You think Jesus faced a little bit of pain? You think the pain Jesus went through was designed to stop his purpose? You better believe it was. You ever wonder why they beat him up so bad? You ever wonder why they tore the skin off of his back? You ever wonder why they shoved thorns into his head and insulted him and spit on him and did all those things? You ever wonder why they did that? Because they were trying to stop his purpose. Luke chapter 23. Jesus is being crucified. Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. When they came to the place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. That was a big old spike driven through his wrists and his ankles. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. In the middle of all this chaos, in the middle of all this pain, <coughs> Jesus says, Father, Forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. One of the hardest things for me personally is to forgive while it still hurts. It's hard for me to forgive while I'm still bleeding. But Jesus shows me a different way. As they're nailing him to a cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. And the soldiers just kept on gambling for his clothes. <laughs> How do you get to that place? How do you get to that place where you can forgive in your pain? How do you get to the place where you can stay on purpose when it hurts? Evidently, there must have been something that was predetermined. Some, some, something was dealt with before the pain came that said, when the pain comes, I'm not going to lose sight. I'm not going to lose focus. I'm going to stay on purpose. There must have been something that said, I know pain is here to stop me, but my God is with me. And when that pain comes, he's going to still be with you. There's got to be something that happens before you get to the cross with Jesus. I wonder if in the garden he settled that issue about the pain. I wonder if that why, that's why it was so agonizing in the garden for him. It's going to hurt. Verse 42 and 43, Jesus just didn't do it one time. He did it again. One of the criminals on the one side of him said this in verse 42, said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus led the criminal next to him 
to salvation while hanging on the cross of salvation. To his last breath. He could have been mad at him. He could have been upset and discouraged because of his situation. He could have been depressed. He could have given up. Oh, well, forget these people. They don't, that, forget this. I ain't, I ain't dying. I'm just, no, forget this. It wasn't supposed to go this way. These people don't respect me. They don't appreciate me. The very same ones that are spitting on him are the ones that he's hanging on a cross for. You see, there needs to be a proper posture to pain in every one of us. You need to posture yourself up towards pain. I realize this. I will face more emotional pain until either Jesus comes home or I go home. I will face more relational pain. There will be some devastating things that could possibly happen in my life from here until eternity. That is 100% possible. I hope and I pray it doesn't happen, but I'm going to posture myself Posturing means to get myself settled into a place that no matter what pain comes, I'm not losing sight of my purpose. My pastor, one of my best friends, preached his way all the way to eternity. He preached it. He was in the chemo chair laying hands on people in chemo chairs. He would pray for the nurses when they would come in. He stayed on purpose. Lord, I want to stay on purpose. Even in my pain, I want to stay on purpose because there's people that are around my pain that need my purpose. All right. I think I beat that one down long enough. So anchor your life before the storm comes. Number two, don't let pain poison your purpose. Number three, walk into every, 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 every opportunity that presents itself. Walk into every opportunity that presents itself. If you see the slightest crack to, uh, of an opportunity to pray for somebody, pray for them. You don't need to wonder if God wants you to do it. Do it. Encourage somebody. When does somebody need to be encouraged? Right now. Boy, let me tell you something about opportunity. If you walk into one opportunity, there may be another one coming right behind it. And the first opportunity may open the door to the second one. And we never have any idea what God's going to do. But watch what happens with Peter in Acts chapter 3, verse 12. Peter and John were heading to the temple. And remember they passed up the gate called Beautiful and the guy was begging for money. Y'all remember that story? What did they do? They saw an opportunity and they walked into it. They didn't give the guy what he wanted. They gave him what he needed. He didn't need another welfare handout. He needed the ability to get up and walk. He needed deliverance out of his situation. They stepped in and they told the man to get up and walk. And he did. And what happened? The man was so awestruck and so blown away that he followed him into the temple. Look at what verse 12 says. 
Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. People start freaking out. Like this is the guy that was just at the gate that was begging for money. You know T-Boy. You know T-Boy? T-Boy that's always begging. T-Boy got the bobos. He's nasty. He don't take a bath. You remember he's demon possessed. You remember T-Boy? Like that's him. He's at the church. He's clean. He's walking. What happened? Because of the first opportunity, the second opportunity came, all their ears were opened and their hearts were opened. And when Peter saw his opportunity, he addressed the crowd. In other words, he preached. Because of the first opportunity, the second opportunity presented itself, Peter preaches, the church goes from 3,000 members to 5,000. Get you some of that, church growth experts. Right? Acts chapter 9. There he met a man named Aeneas who had been paralyzed and bedridden for eight years. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your sleeping mat. And he was healed instantly. Say instantly. I love Peter's attitude. Like, bro, get up. Like, Jesus heals you. Get up. He never once begged Jesus to heal the guy, did he? Like, dude, get up. Get up. So Aeneas gets up. Once again, Peter saw his opportunity, stepped into it. Now everybody's going, that's Aeneas. Aeneas is not laying on his mat anymore. Do you know there's people watching your life? And they're saying they're not on their mat anymore. Can I just encourage you today? Keep walking with your mat so that people go, yeah, I used to lay on this. Now I walk with it. Come on. I don't, I don't live on it anymore. I live from it. He's instantly healed. There was a lady in town, same time. Her name was Dorcas, a sweet lady. She was good at sewing. She made a lot of things for people. She was very kind and generous. She fell sick and died. And her friends had prepared her body for burial. She was, she was literally laid out for the service. Like prepared. That's how dead she was. Just to make sure you know she was dead. She, she died. Verse 39. So they found Peter. Why did they go after Peter? They went after Peter because Peter stepped into the first opportunity with Aeneas, which created the second opportunity for Dorcas. Come on. You're not falling asleep on me, huh? So Peter returned with them, and as soon as he arrived, he took, they took him to the upstairs room. The room was filled with widows who were weeping and showing him the coats and other clothes Dorcas had made for them. But Peter asked them all to leave the room. He didn't need to hear all that. She wasn't dead. Then he knelt and prayed. Then turning to the body, he said, get up, Tabitha, which is short for Dorcas, or vice versa. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. So hang on a minute. 
Jesus wasn't the only one to raise the dead. Did you heard me? Jesus wasn't the only one to raise the dead. I don't believe Peter ever gets to Dorcas if he never takes care of Aeneas first. Aeneas opens the door for Dorcas. Dorcas opens the door for the kingdom of God to move in. Because I'm telling you right now, in a city like that, if somebody raises from the grave, I mean, it's one thing for a dude to get up and walk. Okay, that's cool. But, like, for sister friend to get up out the grave clothes and to, and to be alive now, like, that's next level. The whole city's heart gets turned towards God. Imagine the faith that was stirred up that day. So there needs to be an awareness to opportunities in us that would cause us to keep our eyes and our hearts ready to see. You know, unfortunately, we walk by opportunities every day, all day. Can I say that again? We walk by opportunities every day, all day. Why would God give us all that he's given us, his word, his power, his Holy Spirit, this new life, this boldness that we can't even understand, this power to be a witness, and then never give us an opportunity to do it? Why would he do that? God don't do stuff like that. You ought to write that down. God don't do stuff like that. Why would he give us all that and then not give us an opportunity? So there needs to be an awareness to opportunities in us that would cause us to keep our eyes and hearts ready. Maybe the greatest prayer you can pray in the morning is, Lord, help me to see the opportunities in front of them and then give me the courage to step into them. Knowing that because of what Peter just showed us in Acts, that one opportunity leads to another. And I never know where I'll end up if I take the first opportunity. Some of you, your fire's going out because you haven't walked into the opportunities in front of you. So your heart's not been stirred by faith. Your heart's not been stirred by a moment with God. You've just, you've just stayed complacent. You're not looking for opportunities. And so you stay here in this state, and then you just become stale. I got so fired up last Sunday. I had my life group. We are at Greg's house. Sitting down, there's about eight guys. We're going through a biblical foundation, life group, and it's not glamorous. It's just foundations, right? Nobody says, oh, that's a pretty foundation. So we're going through a foundations life group, and there's a young fella there. And I, I asked the question at the end about how does this lesson apply to your life? And it swings around to him, and he's sitting next to me, and he, he just gets real honest. And I, I so appreciate this dude's honesty. He goes, I just can't interpret the scriptures. Like they don't always make sense to me. And the Holy Ghost said, opportunity, 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 the flashing lights, opportunity, opportunity. I said, really? I said, number one, I appreciate you being honest. I said, look at all these men in the room. We've all been there before. I said, let me ask you a question. Have you ever given your life to Jesus? Are you born again? I said, can I help you with that today? Yeah. Dude got saved in a foundations group 
I'm glad two of you are excited. I guarantee you heaven was rejoicing more than you were. Heaven was dancing. Heaven was shouting. They erupted in praise. It wasn't like somebody took off with the kickoff and ran 100 yards to score a touchdown. It was bigger than that. Heaven erupted when that young man said, yes, I want to be born again. Heaven erupted. We should erupt also. When God uses us, something inside should erupt. And some of you are one opportunity away from something erupting inside of you. And God will set you on fire, and you'll never be the same. And you'll always look back to that one opportunity and say, Lord, thank you for giving me that little bit of courage to say something, to do something. I don't know where to go next. I'm like, I ain't got no words left type. But I feel like there's something in my heart God just wants to say. I listened to a message this week about the seven churches in Revelation. And he got to the, I think it was the church of Ephesus. And Jesus, Jesus was telling them what he liked about them. And then he told them some things that he didn't like about them. And one of the things that he said that he didn't like about them is that they had lost their first love. He said, you lost your first love. Meaning you lost your zeal for me. You lost your passion for me. I remember this. It's like I heard Jesus saying to me, I remember when you used to, you used to couldn't wait to wake up in the mornings to spend time with me. I remember when it wasn't a chore, it was a privilege. I remember when you cried out to me for such simple things that seemed so big in your life. I remember when you came after me. You've lost your first love. You see, when you're in love, or when you're falling in love, you act differently. Ladies can tell. Like you look at your best friend and go, girl, who is he? What you talking about? Who, who is he? What you mean, girl, you got this glow about who's the man? Why? Because there's something different about you. You're in love. I so want to see God move in our church. Not in this building. This is the repercussions of what happens outside the building. I want to hear stories of people getting saved at Walmart and delivered at Walmart. Not just from high prices. Come on, somebody. You've lost your first love. How do we get it back? How do I get back in love with Jesus again? 
Can we all just be real and say, I've lost my first love a time or two? Well, one thing you can do is keep leading people to Christ. That young man lit me on fire. I was looking at Greg. It was at his house, at his dinner table. I'm looking at him, and this guy's giving his life to Christ. I'm like, Greg's like. I mean, we had like a spiritual chest bump, you know, it was like, <laughs> and we celebrated, high fives, big old handshakes, come on, man, you keep leading people to Christ, you stay on fire, you keep stepping in opportunities, more come, why, because God wants to light the world up with you. So how, how, do you, how do you fall in love again? Let me, let me give you that real quick. Three, three simple things. You might want to write this down in your notes. How do I light that fire up again? How do I stir up that passion for my first love? Number one, fall in love with his word again. Just get into his word. It's his love letter to you. It's his love letter to you. Get into the word. Then begin to worship. I mean worship like the kind that presses in. The kind that leaves the phone in the car locked up in the back of the property so you can never hear it. The kind that says, I'm, I'm shutting everything out. Get into a moment where you can experience his presence like never before. Sit with the Lord and just let him sit next to you and watch if you will get lit up again. And then here's the third one. Word, worship, and walk. Just walk with him. Just walk with him. When you love somebody, you'll walk with them. Me and Cheryl took a walk the other day. It ain't often I invite her to come see the cows. Because she gets critical. And I don't like to hear what's wrong with those cows. But every now and then I say, you want to go look at the cows? back. We just took a walk. You know what happened? It just stirred something up. It was just a simple walk. It was just a simple talk. Just walk with Jesus. Just walk with Jesus. Every day walk with Jesus. He shows up.
us to bow to a storm. You never wanted us to, to worship a storm. You want us just to walk with you through every storm. Even when there's not a storm. God, building us a confidence that says, I don't care what comes at me. If you kill me, I'm going to heaven. And if I survive, then God gets the glory. God, build a confidence in us that we've never known before, a boldness to stand and to never be ashamed of you. God, do a work in us today. Do a work in us, God. Bring us back to our first love. Bring us back to the day you saved us. And our world was changed. Set us on fire, God. That we would set this prairie on fire. That your kingdom would come and your will would be done in this prairie just like it is in heaven. That God will see the miracles of the Bible all around us. us and we'll walk into opportunities with courage and confidence. Like we're the, we're, the, we're the medics on site of an accident. We walk in with the authority and the skills and the training and the, and the, the power to do something about it. I pray that's who we are as a church, God, that we walk into every opportunity with the authority that you've given us. And we see heaven move. We see the kingdom come like we've never seen before. Do it in us, Lord. In Jesus' name.